So when I was growing up, um, my parents believed in strong discipline. Oftentimes when we think of discipline, especially strong discipline, what pops in our mind is punishment. But my parents' discipline was much more than punishment. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Part of my parents' discipline was that I had chores. Anybody have chores by a show of hands? Amen? Okay. I had chores. You know, I had to mow the grass. Uh, you know, when we had a garden and we had a pretty big garden, I had to weed. You know, I, there were things that I had to do. That was part of the discipline of growing up. Uh, my parents were disciplined. Uh, I had to be disciplined by my parents and discipline myself for grades. It was not, my sister could get a B and it was all good. If I got a B, it wasn't all good. And that was because that was the best my sister could do. But, you know, it wasn't this, everybody has to meet this standard. But my parents had us discipline ourselves and they disciplined us to do our best in school. And not just to do what it took to get by. I mean, if I put 50% effort in and got an A, that wasn't good enough. I had to put my best effort into my schoolwork all the time. This was part of the discipline of growing up. Learning to defend myself, that was part of that discipline as well. You know, I had to learn to defend myself, not just physically, but, but verbally, emotionally, all those kind of things. I had to learn how to stand up for myself in the world. That was part of the discipline. I, I was disciplined. We had to discipline ourselves with different kinds of sports. And it's not my parents didn't say, you have to do this sport. But we were into water skiing. And I had to discipline myself to learn to ski. And my parents said, you know, you want to do this. You're going to be disciplined to do this. You're going to discipline yourself to do this. I remember in in uh, Smithville Lake near Kansas City, Missouri, being in the water, and they always used to joke because my lips would be blue because it'd be so cold. But I would just keep staying in the water until I learned how to get up. And we were actually at the Lake of the Ozarks when I finally learned how to slalom ski, and uh, it was very interesting. My parents met some folks there, and the guy, uh, the guy of the couple they met, actually how they taught me to slalom ski and get up slalom was I stood on that guy's ski with him so that I could feel how it was supposed to feel. And this was just part of that discipline process, learning how to slalom ski. I had a friend in high school that she was, uh, uh, when I say amateur water skier, I mean everybody who water skis at some point is an amateur, but I mean amateur com- uh, competitive slalom skier and jumper. And she really had to discipline herself to learn how to ski. And a lot of those competitions... You know, it took place in what I would call a pond, not a lake. You know, I mean, just crazy how small they were. But um, she had to discipline herself. I mean, I had to be disciplined about working on my vehicle or paying somebody to work on my vehicle. My parents didn't do it for me. I, I had a kid, um, his name was Tony Cooley, and I, I can't remember if it was my junior year or my senior year. I think it was my junior year. Um, I had a Datsun pickup truck, extended cab, and it was a weird engine. You know, this engine, the oil pump was on the exterior of the engine, and there was a pressure plug on it, and Tony pulled the pressure plug out, sat, vandalized my car and pulled the pressure plug out, and so the oil light didn't come on until there was already, basically the engine was ruined, you know, and this is why car manufacturers shouldn't put oil pumps on the outside of engines, they should be internal, but anyhow, um, 
But my parents didn't just bail me out of that. My parents just didn't chunk a bunch of money my way and say, here you go. I had to be disciplined and, and to work through that and figure out how to, how to make that up. And so I got a Ford Courier next that was even junkier than the Datsun that I had that I paid 400 bucks for. I wish I could get a $400 car nowadays. I mean, it'd probably be a $2,000 car nowadays. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was red and yellow. Not, no, like the way you're thinking red and yellow. Not, not like pretty red and yellow. But it was, miscella- yeah, it was miscellaneous red and yellow with a little brown. Maybe you call it rouge color. Maybe rust. <laughs> so, um, but uh, anyways, I had to do that, you know. I had to pay my own insurance. My parents didn't pay my insurance. If I wanted to drive, I had to pay my own insurance. The only exception to that was that I could, we, could, we had a moped. My sister got a moped first. And uh, I'm, I'm surprised we're alive because of those mopeds. I mean, just the stupid stuff we did on them. But... Um, but that one we didn't have to pay. If we're riding the moped, we didn't have to pay because homeowner's insurance, it was 49.9 cc's, so our homeowners covered it so without an additional premium. But if we had a car, we had to pay our own insurance. That was part of the discipline of growing up, right? Now, and there was even punishment at times, even corrective discipline at times. You know, I don't know about you, but I can remember being grounded in my room. I can remember being whooped with a belt, which I think is totally fine. You know, my parents didn't leave bruises on us. I think that's probably part of the reason in the world that some of the things are going so crazy with some of these kids. Some of these kids, what, what they really need is a whipping. So, I, come on. i got to get a better amen than that. <laughs> you know, I, I for one am thoroughly impressed with that woman who went and got her 14-year-old kid out of the Boston riots, or Baltimore riots. I mean... She was just beating that kid senseless, wasn't she? <laughs> and my mom and my mom and dad would say, no, she wasn't beating him senseless. He was already down there senseless. She was beating the sense back into him. You know, I watched, uh, I can't remember what the guy's name is, Anderson, gray-haired guy. Anderson, yeah, I watched an interview with him and the mom afterwards and the son afterwards. And he says, I know my mom loves me. And, and he knew as soon as he recognized his mom and knew that mom recognized him and said, drop that brick. He's like, oh, man. You know, but I mean, so sure, there was times of that, you know, there was times of corrective discipline. That was all part of growing up and and that was all normal. You know, all of these things that my parents did, and especially my dad, uh, were in the realm of the discipline of a father. They were in that realm, the discipline of a father, right? Uh, Sometimes I didn't like the things, right? that my parents were doing discipline. I mean, sometimes when I wanted to spend my money on something, but I had to go pay my car insurance instead, I didn't like the things that were happening. I was like, man, I got friends whose parents pay their car insurance and they get to keep their whole paycheck to themselves. And I didn't like that that was happening. Uh, I can assure you, now I, you know, I got out of the getting whooped probably when I was 13 or 14, I think. You know, I'd, you get to get to a certain age where, you no longer get a spanking. I, I don't know what that age is. But, but I can tell you before then, I didn't like the spankings. You know? Who here likes a spanking? Raise your hand. Getting one. Being on the receiving end. I'm not talking about... Woo! That's right. Give it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's one in every crowd. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what I'm volunteering for, but I love it. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
All right, now I'm really off track here. Um, some of the things I didn't like, though, and, and really bothered me was that a lot of my friends growing well, I don't know a lot of them, but enough of them had parents that were trying to be their friend more than their parent, you know? And there were times when I wanted those things in my life. I mean, I had friends whose parents at 13, 14 years old would go buy their cigarettes for them. I had parents at 13, 14 years old, friends who had parents that were that way, that didn't care that their kids were smoking pot. Didn't matter. You know, things like that. Um, Didn't care that their kids were having sex. Didn't care that their kids were breaking the law as long as it was just misdemeanors and not felonies. And I mean, you know, they just said, all kids will be kids. And you know, there was a time in my life when I I wanted to do those things. And I was like, man, why won't my parents be this way? But my mom and dad had this theory that my parents were going to be my parents and not my friends. They were primarily going to be my parents and friends came after that. And, And that's rubbed off on me. My primary job to my daughter and my other daughter and my son is to be their parent first. I've learned as an almost 40-year-old adult that my dad still thinks that's his primary responsibility and he's probably right, you know, that he's got to be my parent first, you know. He's like, hey, I always got 28 years on you. My dad was 28 when I was born. He's like, I had 28 years of experience on you. Always, you know, so I'm going to be your parent first, your friend second, you know. I'd come to learn over the years that what my parents did, especially my father, was done because he loved me and wanted the best for me. I've come to believe this so much so that I live it out in my own life as well. And, and, and though I want to be friends with my kids, like I've mentioned, I'm willing to lay that friendship aside in order to be the parent because that is what is best for them. But is this just based in my family upbringing or is this based in God's Word? What does this have to do with Hebrews? Well, let's turn to Hebrews 12, 5 chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, to find out. So I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, and we're going to find out what, if anything, it says about the discipline of a father. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow along in your translation. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And here's the exhortation that he's talking about. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, verse 7, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us as, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, meaning our earthly fathers in, in verse uh, 10, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, meaning God the Father, disciplines us for our good 
that we may share in His holiness. Think about that. He disciplines us so we can share in His holiness. One more verse, verse 11. For the moment, boy, do I know this is true, so I've shared a little bit about it with you. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can I get an amen to that? Amen? Okay. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let's pray about this passage of Scripture as we begin to explore it together and see what it has to do with the Father's discipline. Lord, I come before you this morning. We ask you by your Spirit to speak into this uh, worship service today that we might hear from you about loving discipline. Lord, I know that many people, um, right now the word discipline sticks on the roof of their mouth. They, they don't even like to think about it because their experience with it has been unhealthy and and. And so traumatic at times. But Father, would you begin to transform us today to understand what you mean by discipline? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. So what's your story, right? Some of you can easily easily relate to my story about growing up. You had parents, especially a father, who was tough but fair. I mean, think about the old country song, right? Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Anybody know that song, man? Okay. You know, you had parents that were like that. You had a dad who was like that. You knew the discipline of a father. And you were, and, and he was tough but fair. I mean, you knew that he was going to be tough, but you also knew that he was going to be fair. And they taught you discipline as well as disciplining you. You know what I mean? Taught you discipline as well as disciplining you. Like if I stayed on top of the lawn, if I stayed on top of the weeding of the garden, my parents never said a word to me. But man, I can guarantee you if I did not stay on top of it, when I wanted to go do something, that was when my dad chose to say, nope, get out there and mow the grass. I mean, and it was like the highlight of my week is when he would say, nope, go mow the grass because I didn't stay disciplined. I didn't do what I had to do, right? So my dad taught me to discipline myself, and my story resonates at a deep level with many of you. And it might even be bringing back fond memories of your childhood, thinking about verse 9 here. You know, besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. And so some of you are, are thinking about your parents, you're thinking about your dad, you're thinking about your mom, you're thinking about this discipline, and it's fond memories. And though you say, you know, they were hard, they were tough on me, they were all of those things, man, I, it's made me into who I am, and I love them, and I respect them for it. But some of you cannot relate for various reasons. Some of you cannot relate for various reasons. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just know that some of you are going to struggle to relate to this. I mean, some of the reasons are things like this. Maybe you had an absentee parent. Maybe dad or mom wasn't around. And you longed to have somebody that cared enough to be involved in your life to speak right or wrong into your life, to speak discipline into your life, that you wanted you wanted to have boundaries because those boundaries said, man, somebody cares about me, but there's nobody here involved in my life. And man, I, I would kill for that. I would just, I would kill. I, you know, some of you might have even been foster children 
or, or adopted later on in life and you were, you were just longing for the day that somebody cared enough to take an interest in you to give you a rule or two. That maybe they'll care enough and so you're, the story's not relating, you're having a hard time relating to it. Some of you are having a hard time relating to it because you have an abusive parent. They went beyond discipline to abuse. You were putting on makeup to cover the bruises. You were wearing long sleeves or long pants in the summertime because stuff showed through. Maybe, maybe the abuse wasn't physical. Maybe it was emotional. And your parents were abusive to you emotionally. They called you names. They told you how stupid you were. They told you that you would never amount to anything. Or maybe they put it all into your brother or sister. And like your brother or sister was just the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you were the moron. You know what I'm saying? Some of you had abusive parents, and so because of that, you, you struggle with relating to this story. Maybe some of you are struggling to relate to this story because you have a parent that never disciplined you, instead letting you run amok. And, and I'm afraid that in today's world, that's more common than the other stuff. That parents just don't even get involved. We were so afraid that, boy, if I spank my kids, somebody's going to call and put me in jail and all of these kind of things, etc., etc. And so you can't relate to the story because mom and dad just let you go buck wild, let you go crazy, let you do whatever you want. And you're sitting here in this room today and you're like, man, I don't even know how I made it this far. I should be dead. All of the crazy stuff that I did that my parents didn't get involved in. Maybe your parent was the one who was helping you go and make your first drug deal, buy pot, you know, like some of the friends that I had growing up. You know, I, I think back to the 80s, you know, that that old commercial where the kid, his dad comes in on him and the kid's been doing drugs and, and the dad looks at him and says, where did you learn this from? And he said, I learned it from you, dad. And your parent wasn't the one that was mad about that. Your parent was proud to introduce you. To some of these things. I mean, I had friends that that was the way it was growing up. Their friend, their parents were proud to introduce them to some of these things. Maybe that's you. Whatever your story is, whether you can relate to me or whether you can't, it's really shaped how you're viewing this passage. I mean, there's some of you that are having, uh, uh, that, that's having just a hard time swallowing this about this discipline because of the abuse that you received at the hands of your parents. And so you go, my pa-, the, the part that really sticks out to you is the part here in, in verse 9 where it says, because we had, because besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. And you're like, mm, not so much. Verse 10, uh, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best. And you go, mm, I, I don't really accept that because I don't really, I can't see how my parents thought that was the best. I can't see how the how walking with a limp for the rest of my life my parents thought was the best. And maybe it's not a physical limp. Maybe it's an emotional or spiritual limp that you have. And so you're like, no, I, I can't really take this. You have to understand your upbringing, your childhood has shaped how you're looking at this passage of Scripture if you're struggling today. It, it makes you fearful, possibly, if you're one of the persons who's struggling, it makes you fearful of what this passage is suggesting. It's suggesting, it's suggesting that discipline is a good thing. And in your mind, discipline has been this warped, twisted, abusive thing. And you're like, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm afraid. 
I'm scared of this whole thing. And maybe you're going so far as in your mind to say, this passage is just a stinking lie. Like this is the one place in the Bible where God's lying to us. Not only is it affecting how you're looking at the Lord's discipline and whether or not you think the Lord can love you and discipline you. Remember I said that about the song. His love never fails. It never runs out on us. And, and you think any time there's discipline that comes from the Lord, you start thinking, does God still love me? Listen, that's not affected by His truth. That's affected by your upbringing, by the baggage that you carry. And God wants to heal you of that. He wants to set you free. Not only that, your story is affecting how you raise your own kids. Which also affects how you view this passage. I mean, some of you are raised in disciplined, godly homes, and, and so you're trying to do the same thing with your kids. Some of you, one of you was raised in a home like that, and one of you was raised in a home where there's absentee, and, and that's caused problems between you and your, your spouse as you try to raise your kids, and it's this clash of the worldviews, right? It's happening in your, in your own home. Maybe you both were raised in abusive homes and you're like, and you've made this silent pact or maybe you've said it out loud that I will never raise my kids like that. I will never do that to my children. And you've actually gone to the opposite extreme of how your parents raised you. You've overcompensated. But I think God wants you to look at this through His eyes. Your own childhood story coupled with your parenthood dramatically affect how you view and apply this passage. But what I want you to do is try to let that go. Try to let your, your view of this go. I want to encourage you to look at it through His eyes, through what He is saying and realizing that your earthly father your earthly mother may not be the perfect picture of what God was trying to say. When he talks about a father disciplining us for our, as he thought best, when he talks about we respected them, he's talking about the ideal picture of parenthood. He's not talking about your particular situation. Your particular situation might have been out of control. And God might be grieved by it. And if he is grieved by it, I promise you he's more grieved by it than you are. And he's not trying to get you to go be sinful towards your kids. He's not trying to get you to go be abusive towards your kids. And he doesn't want to abuse you. He doesn't want to discipline you in the sense of abuse. So we want to look at it through his eyes. So what is looking at it through his eyes? Well, the first thing is that discipline that comes from God, the Father, is both formative and corrective. And it is the best thing a parent can do. Look there at verses 7 and 8. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. See, God wants you to understand that when he gets involved in your life and disciplines you, He's doing it because you're his child. Listen, hear me out. I want to just clear up maybe a theological misconception. 
God doesn't discipline those who aren't His. If God isn't disciplining you in life, you really need to start asking yourself, am I really God's? Am I really His son? Am I really His daughter? He disciplines His children. Isn't that what it says in verse 8, 7 and 8? Am I lying about what it's saying there? And if you're not being disciplined, you're illegitimate. It means you're not His kid. We need to think that through as we shy away from God's discipline. This helps us to understand, and I think where we need to come at is that God wants to not only correct us, but He wants to restore us. He wants to form us. He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us into, into His image. And He wants us to do that with our own kids. I mean, think about it this way. The passage says that proper discipline is meant to help us live right, not to beat us down. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. God's discipline is to help us to live right. Listen to me. You need to hear this today. This is the gospel truth that is watered down in so many churches. Just because you got saved does not mean you can do whatever you want. That is on no page of the Bible anywhere. People say, show me where it says that in the scripture. Well, Paul says, what? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By, finish it with me, no means. Okay. Proper discipline is meant to help us live right. God cares how we live after we become his children. He wants us to live like a member of the royal family. He wants us to walk with our head held high. Let me just tell you something real quick. Please do not raise your hand. Do it internally. Don't do it out loud. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Or don't do it outwardly. I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you're a sinner, raise your hand inside your head. If your hand is up inside your head, then there's one of two things. Either A, you're not born again, or B, put it down. Because that's not what he says about you. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that if you are born again, that you are a sinner. No, you're not. You are a saint. It calls you this over and over and over again to the saints who are here, to the saints who are there, etc., etc., etc. And I know some of you for two years now as I've been saying this are struggling with it. Maybe you're not even struggling with it. Every time I say it, you just say, you're full of crap, Jerry. I'm a sinner. You're wrong. Well, if you're a sinner, then get saved today. Because if you're born again, God doesn't call you that. I can show you probably 50 places in the New Testament where he says you're a saint. You say, no, it's just semantics. No, it's not. If I'm a sinner and I call myself a sinner, and I walk out of here believing that I'm a sinner, then what do I expect my life is going to look like? Sin. But if I say I'm a saint, born again by God's Spirit, His Spirit has filled me to overflowing, and I am one of His children who can live righteous and holy, I walk out of here as a saint, believing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and all of a sudden my life starts transforming to reflect His glory. 
our starting point will shape our behavior. It's important that you understand this. Am I saying you never sin as a believer? No. But it doesn't take away your sainthood. You're a saint who sometimes sins. Proper discipline has helped to men us live. Can I get an interpretation, please? Proper discipline is meant to help us live right, not beat us down. Uh, Recently, I wrote an article that I've submitted to Ministry Today magazine for their consideration for publication. The article focuses on the proper tone of discipline being formative and restorative rather than punitive. Punitive being punishment, right? Many of us have received discipline from authorities that was solely punitive. And and so it's hard to swallow what I'm saying. But again, verses 10 and 11 really talks about it being formative and restorative. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to live holy. He wants us to do all those things. I mean, next week we're going to talk about verse 14 where it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, he wants to form holiness in our life because without holiness we can't see Jesus. The other thing about discipline from this passage is this should encourage us to embrace God's discipline and emulate it in our own lives with those we have with those we have authority with. I mean, knowing that God intends discipline as a pathway to righteousness should affect us in such a way that we begin to welcome it. How many of you today, please raise your hand if you, if you are this, if you believe yourself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Okay, the root word for discipline and disciple is the same word. Disciples are to be disciplined. It's the pathway to righteousness. A disciple is to be disciplined to learn Jesus' words, to learn His way of ministry. To begin to emulate his life and character. To go out and make disciples of other people. To submit to teachers who teach him or her how to be a disciple. Knowing that God intends discipline as a pathway to righteousness and to righteous living should affect us in such a way that our tone when instituting discipline with our children and others under our authority, it strives to take a positive tone and approach. Right? I mean, basically what I'm arguing here is that because of this passage of Scripture, we as a church have to go out and begin to seek to put discipline back in its proper place. And our crumbling country all around us should serve as a testimony to the power and validity of that statement. There was a time in the not-too-distant past where that mama who went out there beating on her child in Baltimore would not have made it on the news because it wouldn't have been uncommon. There would have been a lot of mamas out there and a lot of daddies out there snatching somebody up by the ear and dragging them back to the house and saying, what are you doing? But we have gotten as a country and even as a church, we have gotten... Discipline so twisted to be this negative thing that if we don't restore discipline to where it's supposed to be, then our, then it's going to go to hell in a handbasket even worse than it already is. And instead of being afraid of using these biblical terms, 
We need to go and say, no, we're going to claim this back for Jesus. It's what happens. We ditch it. We don't like it because it's taken on a, a, a bad tone. We abandon the term and we let the world have it. To the point we don't even like, you know how many Christians that I know that are offended by being called a Christian? I'm not a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. 20 years ago, it wasn't, an, it wasn't a bad thing to be called a Christian. But we've abandoned the term Christian because it's gotten twisted and meant something that it never meant. And instead of going and saying, no, we're going to claim it back. It's been suggested to me by people in OCCA that we ought to not use the word discipline. It has. It's been suggested to me by people at Clarion. It's been suggested by people at Crossroads. But I say no. We're going to claim discipline back in the way God intends it. Does it need to mean abuse? Heck no. It needs to mean discipline. Loving, corrective sometimes, restorative all the time, formative all the time. Discipline, where we are disciplining ourselves and helping others to discipline themselves and sometimes intervening and bringing discipline. We need to understand that if we don't institute discipline, we don't love. If you are letting your child run amok and not bringing discipline, you are not evidencing love in that situation. If you are letting that happen inside of your work, when you, if you have employees that are, that are underneath of you that are running amok and you won't step in and correct them and you won't step in and, and, and do the things that are needed and help them to discipline themselves, you're not loving them because eventually what's going to happen? They're going to get fired. If you love them enough, you go to them and you say, hey, we got we to gotta get this worked out now. We could talk about that with teachers at school. We got a lot of teachers here. If we're not implementing discipline in our classrooms and, and teaching our kids, you know, as, as they're coming up in the school system to do their best all the time, what's going to happen when they get into the business world and they're giving 60% effort, maybe 70% effort? They're not going to be able to keep a job. What employer is going to continue to pay them a competitive wage to do a less than wholehearted effort at their work? Has anybody got a job where your boss just doesn't care and lets you slack off and just keeps paying you? I don't see any. Okay, one. There's always one. Oh. It's on like donkey. There's two. There's two. And uh, one of them works for me. And so it's on like Donkey Kong next week. <laughs> so. Yes, sir. You're going to regret that, girl. <laughs> Oh, it's too late. You raised your hand. John, write it down. Wendy's hand went up and said, her boss is easy. Mm-hmm. So what do we have for homework this week? For this week for homework, we have some stories that I want you to look at of discipline in the Scripture. Now, if you don't know what homework is, at OCCA, I offer up passages of Scripture each week for us to read to kind of see, is what I'm talking about like my interpretation or is this what God really says? So Monday is Jonah 1 and 2. Tuesday is Jonah 3 and 4. By the way, when I get done with the book of Hebrews, Jonah is the next book that I'm preaching through. Okay, but... There's discipline there. We see God's formative discipline in Jonah's life. We see his formative and restorative discipline in the Ninevites' lives. 
I mean, there's some crazy stuff that happens in this. Okay, Wednesday is Malachi chapter 1 and 2. Thursday is Malachi chapter 3 and 4. The entire nation of Israel, under God's discipline, the priests are being told that they need to be people of discipline. The people are being told they need to be people of discipline. And God is saying, all of these woes that are happening is because you're not disciplined people. You don't trust me. You won't follow me. You won't be disciplined to obey me. Friday, 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 25. Nathan the prophet comes to David the king with God's discipline. It's definitely corrective, but it's also restorative. Right? And Saturday, Genesis 39 through 41. I know it's four chapters. I figure it's Saturday. Most of you have the day off. You can crank out four. It's about Joseph and the discipline that he was under for a crime he didn't commit. But how it formed and shaped him and brought him into a place of, of authority and power in the land of Egypt so that when his brothers showed up for grain, the nation of Israel could be blessed. So, that's the discipline homework. So let me pray and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to close with. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this. And Father, we ask that through the homework this week, through the sermon this morning, that you will help us to not be afraid of discipline. Lord, we all confess to you right now that we see it going on all around us, the riots that are happening, all of this craziness that's going on all around us. We believe that it is because of a lack of discipline. So Father, would you help us to see discipline in your eyes, through your eyes, the way that you want discipline to be seen. Help us to grow. Help us to be transformed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.